This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at leno.com slash ifreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to iFreaks, episode number 227. This week on our program, we have Guy Rombo. Hello from Brazil. Erica Sadoon. Hello from Denver. I'm Andrew Madsen in Salt Lake City, and we actually have four guests today. Our guests are Junior, Marin, Florent, and Scott, and I'm going to have them go through and introduce themselves one by one. Why don't we start with you, Junior? Yeah, hello, everybody. I'm from Switzerland. I was born in Brazil. I'm a software engineer here in Switzerland, now working on some banking stuff. And in the past, uh, I used to work on Eric Swift, and one, I'm one of the four authors of Eric Swift, programming with Eric Swift, written with all the free guys that are going to introduce themselves later. Uh, for Rainer Vanderlick, and I really love to work on that book. Thanks, Junior. We're glad to have you. And I should have mentioned uh, our topic is RX Swift today, so we've got the authors of the RX Swift book, which is great. Uh, Marin, how about you introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. My name is Marin Todorov. Uh, I'm a developer and an author. I've been working on software for a really long time um, and on a number of books um, with uh, Ray. Um, on a variety of topics, including our latest uh, RX Swift book, uh, which was a was a great adventure with these awesome guys that are here today. <laughs> and I'm based in Europe. Um, and um, yeah, I guess we're going to learn more about me later in the show. Great. Thank you. Florent. Yeah. Bonjour from French Ria. Uh, my name is Florent Pillet and uh, I'm a freelance developer mostly. Um, I've been working, I'm probably the oldest guy in this group. Um, and I've been working for a very long time on many platforms. Right now I'm working on mainly iOS, some Android, uh, and some other exotic platforms. Um, and well, I was uh, dragged into writing this book by Marine. Uh, because I absolutely love Eric Swift and I love reactive programming. It changed my programming life and, uh, well, we'll talk about it. I'm excited to hear about it. Scott, how about you? Hey everyone. Uh, my name is Scott Gardner. I live in Illinois, originally from Boston. Um, I've been developing an iOS for about eight years and I currently work at a medical device company on a next generation apps, taking advantage of iOS and, uh, you know, the different devices. So, um, I happened upon RX Swift a couple of years ago, and uh, it just changed everything for me. I really changed my style of programming, and I got involved with it. And uh, through the uh, good fortune of meeting my my co-authors, we were able to put together this this book. So it was super fun. I think this is probably the most international show we've ever had, too, which is great. <laughs> um, I so. A lot of our listeners uh, probably have heard the word RX Swift, but I bet a lot of them also don't really know what it is and don't know what reactive programming really means. You know, maybe they've heard that term, but they they don't, they don't actually know what that means uh, in reality. So I wonder if we could just start with a pretty quick um, breakdown for beginners of you know what is RX Swift, what is reactive programming, and I guess because we have so many people, I should assign someone. <laughs> uh, I actually I actually don't know um, whichever of you wants to to explain it, but somebody volunteer. I guess we could ask, yeah, Marin, Marin's a book lead, so let's go. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll do that. Um, actually, yeah, I was writing the intro chapter of the book was uh, my task, so uh, I kind of like have some notes here out of the book just in case that we have to do a quick recap. Um, well, so reactive programming isn't really a new concept. It's been around fairly long time, uh, but it's been applied to different platforms and different languages. Um, but it's being um, having a noticeable comeback um, in the last few years, I guess, uh, as it becomes more popular with the uh, hip platforms of the day. Um, and so it started with web applications uh, when programmers had to deal with scalability, 
and uh, ever-increasing complexity of, of the systems they have to build. Um, and um, noticeably, a team at Microsoft took on the challenge to solve problems of asynchronous um, real-time applications uh, that um, developers were trying to build on their platforms. So and they came up with this very neat um, framework called um, Rx that they sometime around 2009 um, created in, uh, as, a, as a plugin for their .NET platform. And so this is how things pretty much start uh, with, with the team at, at uh, Microsoft, um, creating the Rx standard, basically. Um, and so the Rx is, is a platform for creating asynchronous code uh, and basically you know, taming down the complexity of, of asynchronous programs. And at the same time, helping those asynchronous programs being more and more scalable. Uh, and so Rx became a standard for .NET and um, soon after many different platforms Pick that standard up and actually ported those same this the same language uh, and the same uh, patterns into different uh, languages and so and like that's how this this recent uh, uh, take happened. Basically, now you have Rx JavaScript, Rx Kotlin, Rx.NET, Rx Kotlin, Rx Swift, and so um, all of these languages basically implement the same the same concept and same platform. Um, and then you know they customize this this um, tool that helps build asynchronous scalable programs to their respective platforms. Um, so I think, in short, this is this is you know what happened basically up to now. Would you agree that a reactive program is one that's driven by its user and its environment, that it reacts to what the user inputs or what changes? in what it's connected to? Well, Rx is basically, in a way, in a way it is. Um, and, and Rx is, is kind of like a, a sweet, a, a, it finds this, the sweet spot in, in between you know, purely imperative program in which you dictate um, what each step does one after the other. And on the other end, a, a purely functional program that uh, everything is expressed as a function. So Rx is kind of like falls in the middle uh, neatly that allows you to um, basically instead of as you said instead of polling for data all the time actually react to incoming incoming uh, changes uh, whether they being a user input or um, some other some other inputs in the system um, and so it allows you to basically combine functional aspects with imperative uh, in a in a in a way for you to react um, to any any kind of events, basically. So it tries to find that middle ground that it's not just following a set of instructions and it's not being driven entirely by, you know, users, right? Yeah, I would, I would say that it actually allows for a lot of flexibility. It's kind of a very advanced tool which which you can easily abuse if you if you are in that kind of mood, um, but that actually what allows us more advanced users to make the most out of it by choosing, you know, whether you know, to maybe sometimes to use a little bit of imperative code in, in here and there, or you know, more purely functional uh, in other spots, and mm -hmm. basically find whatever fits your use case best. But it's primarily asynchronous, correct? Yes, it is a tool that makes asynchronous programs easier to tame, basically to 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 um, to simplify, you know, how you approach that code, how you write the code, and uh, how it's executed and tested. And the way you update in response to changes—is it callbacks? Is it actors? Is it data flow? What's going on? There is a, um, a single pattern, the uh, observer pattern, that drives everything in ArcSwift. And the single protocol, the observable type, gives you the ability to um, pass values from, from um, an observable sequence to an observer or many observers. And this single pattern, you can apply to anything and everything in your, in your program. And this is one of the aspects that makes code so much more easier to write and understand. 
because um, in Cocoa you have all that many different patterns, um, notification center, closures, delegates, and so forth. And always you need to do something a little different to handle each situation. While with Rx, you always have one pattern which you uh, apply to everything. Um, and this is one of the biggest, I think, in my opinion, the strongest aspects of uh, the benefits of using Rx. And you can also bind stuff uh, in a way that your data is always in sync with your model. Uh, you, the data that you're displaying on the screen is always in sync with the underlying data. And that's a huge advantage. Uh, every time I use Rx Swift, I, I love that I can just connect two pieces of data and they will be kept in sync using this model. I really like it. Yeah, and the, and this is and the and the the best thing is that it all works in the same way. Everything you do with Arc Swift, it it works it with the same observable um, type, and this is what makes it also so powerful because you can always jump in and and adjust things to your liking or customize stuff because they all work in the same way. Should we open it also for the others to pitch in? Maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, it's also kind of springboarding what Marin said. Uh, it's declarative in nature and. You structurally, you can, you know, the functional aspect of it is that you can chain these operators together to manipulate data, to filter data, uh, or events. I shouldn't say it's just data. It could be taps and gestures that are recognized before you actually do your subscription. And then you're writing that handling logic in line. So it, it makes the code that you write very succinct, very readable after the fact. Um, and it puts it all together as opposed to, say, for example, a delegate pattern where you've got, you know, delegate implementations at the bottom of a file or perhaps even a different file. So I just find that it's a very streamlined syntax. It's very easy to reason about. And you're putting the logic that is handling these uh, events, this data or these gestures or what have you, um, or, you know, coming back asynchronously from an API or something along those lines. You're putting all that in line and it just makes your code that, that much more succinct and uh, easy to follow. And it's, I don't want to say it's a set it and forget it thing, but once you've put that code in place, then it largely is going to behaviorally react to those events that occur at runtime, rather than having to be more imperative about how you're writing code, try to handle every single edge case. What are typical events like? Uh, events can be, uh, you know, what I said, you know, it could be not just data, it could be taps. If you, if you have a, a tap on a button and you want to wire up uh, the, the buttons Rx uh, uh, tap event to uh, maybe you want to open up an alert and prompt the user to enter in a password or, you know, to do something along those lines. It can also be data. So if you have a text field and when, when the user is uh, typing in text into that text field, you want to continue um, to perform, uh, you know, a search online and return partial search results as they're typing but you also want that to be throttled so that, that you're not you know, sending uh, too many requests as they're typing and deleting characters uh, in their search field. So uh, you, know, you would um, basically bind that text field in an, an, using Rx uh, to uh, a call to an API. You can, like I said, throttle it so that it's only happening every third of a second at most or something along those lines. If somebody is coming from a background of, say, um, traditional Objective-C development, what's going to feel familiar or different to them? Well, um, basically, Rx does not really change entirely, you know, the concept of programming. It just makes it a little bit um, more more sequential in, in, in the way you argue about it. Um, so, you know, every everyone who has used a callback, they will instantly relate to the code that they will write with Rx Swift, um, it's just that they won't be using, you know, for for each, you know, for text field or for a switch um, control or any other um, thing that they are doing with a callback. They won't really have a different API every time, depending on you know who implemented that specific class. They will have the same uh, the same way to implement this callback. So it's it's this is something that they will instantly get. Uh, will just will be a little bit easier. I would say. Right. And, and I would also say that when we say Rx Swift, what we really mean is Rx Swift, which is a set of standard operators and patterns that follow, as, as Marin mentioned, the observer pattern and the iterator pattern. And these are the same across all the different implementations for, say, Rx Java, Rx Kotlin, Rx JS. Um, so that's all a very standard set of patterns and, op patterns and operators. So you have a lot of portability of skills and collaboration opportunity there. 
The other part of this, the, the big part of RX Swift is also uh, sort of primarily the library RX Coco, but then also several community and third-party libraries and test libraries and these types of things that are, of course, catering to the Coco platform, the Coco Touch platform. And that's what we're kind of really talking about right now. And, and you know, it really is that, that standardization of RX Swift applied to the various APIs that we have dealt with um, you know, in the, in the standard iOS SDK, all of that following uh, the same rhyme and reason for everything. So I really feel like if you're, if you're just getting started in iOS even, you would have an easier time understanding how RxCoco works. And, and then you'd look at this other code that's, you know, on the left of the before code and realize, wow, that's, that's really a lot more convoluted than I thought it would, would need to be, especially if your perspective is coming from RxCoco to begin with. So for a developer that is currently doing, you know, iOS development using traditional APIs and imperative style programming, you then look at RX Swift and you just see the code become that much more succinct, readable, and, and compartmentalized. All of the logic that, that is necessary to handle when something is occurring behaviorally in an app is all in line. And that's, that's sort of the, the, the super benefit of it. But I just wanted to point out that there's RX Swift that really is encompassing RX Swift and RX Coco and other types of libraries that benefit the, the platform that they serve. You've mentioned a few of the benefits being consistency, where you do the same sort of thing no matter what kind of API element you're working with. And you've mentioned localization where the code isn't necessarily in a different file or in a different part of the file where things that react are placed in line with the things that use them. What are some of the other advantages of using a reactive programming approach? Just So one of the advantages that you can talk with uh, Java developers and JavaScript developers and Kotlin developers working on the Android side on the same language. A uh, good example is that uh, if you work on uh, Eric Swift and uh, you have uh, somebody on, on the Eric's uh, Kotlin doing uh, an Android application, you can actually talk about observables, about uh, subjects, about schedulers, and things like that. O uh, on the other side, if, for example, you are working on uh, um, Rea Reactive Swift or before it was a Reactive Coco, you have to change terminology and sometimes it's a little bit confusing. This is actually one one of the good advantages. What do you think, Florent? Do you agree with me? Yes, yes. The the, the concept uh, really cross the platforms and the languages. So this is a very good thing because uh, you can talk with other people. You can reason about your code uh, the same way on various uh, platforms on various uh, languages, and you don't have this kind of uh, weird uh, different APIs and stuff to deal with. It's some of the names may change, but the concepts are always the same. And you always reason uh, about your code the same way uh, uh, everywhere. Yeah, I just want to pitch in quickly here, probably. Uh, you, you don't have the same code across platforms, right? Like, so, the, so the Java code is definitely going to be you know, different than the, than the Swift code. Um, what, we're, what we're seeing here, what Florian and Junior were saying, is that you can argue about concepts. And so when you need to tackle a problem and design a solution, you can talk to somebody who is um, using a completely different language, but use the same concepts across platforms. So you, know, you, can, you can ask your Kotlin colleague, um, should I just first throttle and then combine the sequences uh, and then subscribe on, on a different scheduler and things like this? So this is the common language between platforms. Um, and, and you can argue about solutions and then, uh, each one of you can, you know, write a slightly different uh, specific code in each platform. I was going to ask, has there been any effort yet to standardize the terms if all the concepts are the same? Is there some sort of grand unification scheme or um, just, you know, a standards committee? that's starting to develop out of all the reactive platforms to make sure that those terms evolve to be the same for all platforms, even if the languages are different. 
Yes, there oh, is the ReactiveX uh, standard, if you can call it, uh, which is actually what Rx Swift follows. Um, uh, this is the relatively standard definition of what reactive uh, framework is and what kind of uh, concepts uh, and tools you can expect from it, uh, along with the names which, which may change from one language to the others. But they have a very nice grids which explain uh, the functionalities and the names you find the concepts uh, on each platform. I, I haven't used Rx Swift, but back in the before Swift in the Reactive Coco, you know, Objective C Reactive Coco days, I um, did a little with that. We actually uh, did a show about that at one point, and I, I remember probably the biggest obstacle being there was just a lot of terminology that I didn't quite understand that I had to get, you know, into my head. Um, and I, I don't know if it's exactly the same in Rx Swift or not, but it seems like as a beginner, if you're diving in, that's sort of the, the first obstacle is what do these terms mean and, and how do they relate to the concepts I'm learning? One I remember is hot and cold signals, and I can't tell you what that means anymore, but I figured it out at one point. Oh, don't worry. We don't have that in Rx Swift. Um, so you're, you're, you're safe. It's, oh, it's good. Okay. Good. <laughs> now, we've um, talked well, a bit about the reactive side of things, but we haven't really touched much on the Swift side of things. So how does Rx Swift merge with the Swift language? What does it bring to it? Where are the pain points and where are, I don't know, where, what would you call the opposite of a pain point, a glory point? Um, well, maybe I can go ahead on this one. Um, it, it merged very nicely, actually. I was doing um, Reactive Coco before I came to Eric Swift, and Eric Swift uh, is is very good because it blends with Swift in a way that the closures in Swift are perfect because at the root, uh, Eric Swift is just a callback. That's what Kruno, the author of the, the framework, says. Yes, so actually, um, um, Reactive Coco, which, which, which I was using before coming to Eric Swift, um, was relatively complicated because uh, it was not made for uh, language like Objective-C. Uh, when you come to, uh, to Eric Swift from a Swift background, um, you feel at home mostly because the terms and the concepts that you use, like map and flat map, are very familiar to you already. And, and the, the closures you have to use for uh, your callbacks are very simple and, and the same that the ones you use for any other Swift code that, that you write. Do you get that? Yeah, I got that. I think Scott has something to say, and it's actually a question that came up. Uh, what can, can you talk a little bit about this concept of schedulers? It's something that I, I've seen in the RX Swift documentation, and and I don't know if it, it seems to have something to do with a thread or a queue, but I, I don't know exactly. Right. So where you might typically use GCD, and you're going to dispatch queue uh, to to move off the main thread, and then dispatch back onto the main thread for UI work, and that's sort of the pattern that you would follow, right, in iOS. Um, so with Rx, you are really doing that, that thread management through these, these schedulers. And so it just it streamlines. And I was, I was wanting to add that as a comment when we were talking about sort of what are the benefits, um, because it's another area where Rx just really streamlines things and makes it very easy to follow the logic of your block of code. Um, you know, to, so you have a main scheduler. There are, some, there are some instances that you can call upon, like main scheduler, to just go ahead and, and, and be on the main scheduler. And then you can also do uh, your subscription work on, let's say, a background uh, scheduler, which is essentially going to behind the scenes manage that in the same way that you might have done that more manually using GCD as, a, as one example. So um, the, two, the two concepts are really observing and subscribing. And uh, our, it's, a, it's a single line of code, uh, subscribe on or observe on, to, to direct how your code and where your code is going to be processed on a specific queue or just, you know, just grab a background queue with a, and, and, and just go ahead and perform that work. And you can push an entire chunk of code onto a background queue with a line of code um, and then observe it back on the main thread so that you can update a table view or, you know, some kind of UI um, in the app. So, again, it's a benefit. It's real streamlined. And these schedulers are an abstraction around uh, that, that you know, thread or queue management. If I may quickly jump in, um, that being said, um, RxSwift makes use of, of basically all of Swift's 
features uh, and probably in more. <laughs> um, but um, to to write good Rx Swift, you do have to know well Swift uh, because this is the programming language that you're using Swift, right? So um, there's a lot of closures. There is a lot of um, advanced operators. So you have to understand how Swift works, and you have to understand um, you know how to use it well uh, before being able to write good Rx Swift as well. You know, sometimes people would ask me something about, like, you know, why do you, why do I have to use a weak self in here? Uh, can I just uh, do this and this and this? Um, and you could, but before tackling Swift, you have to understand well uh, Swift, or at least on an intermediate level. Let's say, let's say that um, it's a, you know, it's a framework that is that is based on Swift. Uh, so Swift is the uh, kind of like the prerequisite for it. You're going to be using generics a lot for the observers. Um, I know that sometimes the compiler even can get confused. Um, the errors sometimes are not very useful when you're dealing with complex generics and, and that, that sort of stuff. I've seen that when working with Rx Swift. But uh, yeah, you have to have the knowledge to actually work it out for yourself and, and there's always people willing to help. So we talked about Rx Swift and what you can do with it. And there's another aspect. I don't know if, if you guys would like to talk about it, which is how Rx fits in with all of the stuff. So if you're writing an iOS app, how do you integrate Rx Swift with table views and text fields? How does that work? Well, um, I can okay. quickly jump into that. Um, and I'm going to hand it off. Just qu a quick thought is that, as we said, Rx is a standard that is shared between platforms. And so Rx in itself does not deal with Apple's platform and Cocoa um, or UIKit and so forth. So Rx Swift gives you the tools to you know, write good asynchronous code, write scalable code, and so forth, and reactive code. And um, RxSwift has a companion framework called RxCoco, which implements uh, then all of these integrations into Apple's own own uh, toolkit. And so RxCoco contains um, extensions uh, on RxSwift that will give you handy kind of like connection points to uh, things like URL session, table views, and so forth and so forth. So there's a there's an ever-growing kind of like a layer that sits between ArcSwift and Cocoa that helps you connect from one to the other. And somebody else wanted to jump in, uh, kind, of, kind of cut off somebody there. Oh, yeah, you, you actually... Go ahead, yep. <laughs> we all probably yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I can actually add a little bit more on this because... Um, the concept of, um, behind Eric Swift is that you produce and consume. So you have kind of a producer that produces a value or something. And then you have the consumer that at some point, at any time, because we don't know, maybe maybe you're producing a value in the background, you're producing a value from the network or from the same thread, so it's consumed immediately. So this is actually the power, the power of the scheduler. So you can do a lot of, of these nice things. But the problem, the main problem is that you have this relationship and when you have to actually return a value from the producer, which is uh, the concept of delegates like in table views or like uh, in location manager, you have to return values. You have to deal with that sometimes. Or the uh, core Bluetooth, for example, it's another good, uh, good example where you, you have delegates that requires a value to be returned. And one is actually mandatory. Uh, you have to deal with uh, Apple Cocoa platform. So for that, you have workarounds that are called a proxy. So I would actually say that Marines is totally right when it tells that you at least have to have an intermediate knowledge of Swift and the Cocoa platform, because sometimes uh, Eric Swift cannot handle everything. It's uh, it's a really good framework. It can help you alike in a lot of things. But unfortunately, sometimes there are trade-offs. And one of these is that when you're dealing with delegates that have required return value, then you have to deal with proxies. So you are back in the Cocoa world. 
I, I'm I'm curious. So you, we've mentioned that um, RX Swift really uses all of the, all all of the features of Swift, and you have to know Swift really well. I wonder if there are features that you uh, that you think would be nice to have that Swift doesn't have now. Things that could be improved about Swift to make to make RX Swift better. Do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Don't all answer at once. <laughs> <laughs> so well um i would say i would say uh, right now um um well i would say abi stability but that's a nice play <laughs> so it's an easy take but well um i would like to talk a little bit because uh, there is this c sharp which uh, it's actually the original the original language that uh erics uh, basically was born and it looks like after they introduced the async and uh, async await terminology, which everybody was like waiting for because Erics was all about this. Then it looks like Erics just it's like fading away from from actually the community of uh, C sharp. So for uh, for Swift, I would say that uh, something related to asynchronous programming that will make the asynchronous programming in Swift a little bit more fashion i won't say not better because it's uh it's still uh it, it's it's good i think it's uh, at the moment with gcd with the operation and uh, with all what we have right now it's it's pretty good it's pretty good right now but i would say that maybe i think a way will be a nice step for 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 but maybe can be a bad thing for eric swift i don't know what the others are uh, other spinner are yeah, um, I would say Swizzling, maybe. <laughs> Mostly because um, uh, when you want to lift uh, stuff into the reactive world, which is that when you want to take data that comes from the APIs uh, or from delegates, uh, things like that, and you want to lift it up to Eric Swift, um, you often have to go through oops. Uh, if you look at the source code from the framework, um, lifting from the delegate pattern to Eric Swift is already complicated. And it's made even more complicated by the fact that uh, we don't have as much dynamism in Swift than we had in Objective-C. And it, it, it makes things more complicated than they should. It's interesting you bring this up because dynamism and um, async await both have been fairly prominently featured in the debates on the Swift evolution list within the recent months. Both of them, both of these efforts are being led by Chris Latner. And I haven't seen much of a voice from reactive programmers going into either of these discussions. They both seem to be taking their inspiration from uh, C-sharp and from Python in terms of looking to other languages. But I don't really see input from people who are saying, here are some lessons we've learned from reactive programming. Maybe we can use this to help develop, mold, or shape where Swift is going with these features. Mm, that's a fair point. Uh, I think that the Swift evolution lists are, well, uh, a bit tedious to get into, and the discussions are uh, really overwhelming for most of us, I guess. Um, but you're right. You're absolutely right. 
I I do think that the RX is is more of a like we are we're I think I feel that here we are talking about two completely d- different things like Swift is is the language so it really has to be the minimum the minimal the common denominator between what everyone is doing what everyone would ever possibly want to do with it uh, and RX is a very specific tool um that is strictly focused on on asynchronous programming in a in a certain and it's, and it's very set in its ways so um i think that drawing patterns directly from rx into the language would be probably impossible um, because it's a very specific it's, it's like it's basically um probably not answering um everyone's needs everyone's possible needs ever but with it um i feel and um and I think that you know, I think a wait is a, is a good step forward. And 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 you know, the whole document that that Chris Latner um, um, published a few months ago about the how how this problem should be tackled and what does it mean to to implement a good um, approach to asynchronous and Swift in general is is a very is very solid and 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 is very measured and it's very um reasonable and so i think that that swift will progress probably slower and and in a, in a in a way that just accommodates for for something that everyone can use in in any possible code uh, while rx is a very is a very niche solution to that problem um just to just to expand a little bit so as as a i think i mentioned earlier uh, rx swift does not change how you what you can achieve, basically. So you can do exactly the same stuff that you're achieving with Arc Swift by using delegate patterns, notification center, closures, um, callbacks, and, and so forth. So you can, um, so you can exactly you can achieve the same results. It's just that Arc is a very homogeneous uh, a way to achieve it. Uh, more, uh, it allows for better composition. Uh, for better testing and and so forth, so it's a, you know, it's a it's a give and take. Um, it's a, it's a tool that drives you uh, in a in certain solution, uh, and allows you to to achieve things faster. But it has to be in a certain way. So I think that drawing directly from RxSwift, which is a tool again, into the language is probably impossible. Um, there's good ideas there, but they're probably going to be um, just a distant dent um, if 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 any of, of, of Swift's future features are, are um, inspired by, by the ARCs at all. And so I think await is a good step, but it doesn't really you know, directly draw from ARC Swift, um, if that makes sense. That's a really good point, Marin. I mean, um, it, it, you said it's a tool and it's something that we can use as a way to get some of the same work done in what we would deem to be a uh, you know, more efficient process. Um, there are there are some things that um, that we see in Swift, uh, you know, higher order functions and, and some of the functional aspects of what you can do with Swift, you know, standard library. Uh, and and that's the, really the other part of what Rx Swift is. It's, you know, functional and reactive programming, although we just typically call it reactive you know, programming. And so you know, the more that I think we see Swift, the, the question here is, is still like, how does Swift maybe improve upon itself to make it uh, more suitable for uh, RX Swift to do its thing, and or what aspects of RX Swift could influence Swift, you know, uh, upstream. And so, um, you know, the functional aspect is great. It's it's to see more of a functional and and, and you know stateless type of of code being written rather than uh, some of the more traditional or imperative approaches where you you are dealing with a lot of edge cases with state and uh, and and mutability and what have you. Um, but there are some influences. I don't know if they necessarily came from Rx Swift, but there are some things that are new in iOS, um, you know, iOS 11 with, say, K- some of the KVO API changes that have improved upon how you can work with KVO. And um, and it's not exact, but it's very similar in concept to what you're doing. You have an observe, you have observation that you, uh, you know, get a handle to, uh, to observe, uh, you know, properties uh, of, of objects. And uh, so uh, the KVO API improvements, I think, sort of match the 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 feel the look and feel of what we're doing in rx swift and 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 sort of the thing that we've mentioned a few times now is that i i really appreciate that 
there is a there is a standards committee with the Reactive X org, and there's a standard set of patterns and operators that all these different implementations are are not necessarily required, I guess, but are are supposed to be implementing and adhering to because it creates that versatility of of skill set. You know, rather than taking developers and and not that I have anything against any uh, you know cross platform development tools, but rather than taking a developer that's very passionate about uh, you know iOS development and using Xcode and Swift. Um, that same person um, could, you know, another developer could be just as equally passionate about using Kotlin with Android. And, uh, and so rather than taking the developer out of their environment that they're so passionate about being, um, we're, we're making their skills portable. So, it, it, you know, to see like RX Swift roll into, in, into Swift in some way and have there not be a need for it anymore, I think would really be to, um, would be to, not to the benefit of Swift or Rx Swift to do that because it is that universality across the different languages, across the different technology stacks that is so appealing to me from the collaborative standpoint and from the portability of skills standpoint. Detriment. Yes. I wonder if I can go all the way back and edit that in. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say the word detriment and maybe somebody can magically make that appear there where I was fumbling. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's, it happens to all of us. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, you know, again, so I think that the, the functional aspects of Swift are really, uh, they're introducing developers that aren't familiar with functional programming to those concepts and they're getting familiar with them, which makes the, uh, familiarity or the ability to adapt to doing functional reactive programming that much easier for developers as they start to explore the RX, you know, universe of, of capabilities. And then on the opposite end of it, it you know, there are things that are happening in the standard, uh, you know, uh, iOS SDK and Swift that are making, um, you know, ob observing and the, and the concept of that observer, observable uh, pattern uh, more, more prevalent and easier to work with. Apple has a bad reputation for having so many patterns jumping on top of each other. There's delegation, there's notification, there are the old style callbacks, there are the new style handlers, there's KVO and so forth. And from an API point of view, being able to unite all these weird and diverse approaches is very appealing. But is Apple, do you think, going to adopt some of this uniform design and bring it back into its own system and perhaps evolve from there? I doubt it uh, for one reason is that Rx uh, is complicated to learn. And I don't think Apple wants to make it harder for newcomers to uh, learn and program their systems. So if Apple does evolve. If they do, it, it, there's been rumors recently about a new unifying cocoa replacement. I believe the name we've heard bandied about is marzipan, and it may be completely bogus. It may be realistic. But if they were to do that, what directions would you like to see Apple go in? Maybe um, we could say uh, what they will obviously do is unify the APIs uh, between the desktop and the mobile, uh, which is going to be at, at the benefit of Apple and all developers. Beyond that, I don't think anything they could do would help with uh, Rx uh, at all, because Rx is just a higher level toolbox. So um, from my point of view, what they can do is simplify the myriad of APIs and, and callback systems they have and maybe settle on one when they are going to obviously uh, uh, rethink the APIs for Swift because you know that Coco is not made for Swift. And it, it looks like the most obvious thing they are going to do is uh, uh, change all the APIs to make them work with Swift and, and make them Swift native. So once we, we are at this point, it's going to be easier to plug Eric's into that. And I would also like to add that, um, and this is a personal opinion, right? Um, so in, in, in my point of view, uh, Coco for the Mac is a super advanced framework, which is um, amazing. 
but it requires a lot of a lot of setup and a lot of um, a lot of points of customization that you need to tackle to build a build a product with Coco. Um, and on the other side, we have iOS, in which Apple apparently and obviously tried to address this fact about Coco development. So they made the APIs maybe a little bit too simplistic, and you have um, maybe many classes that are fallback classes for all kind of stuff. And I'm looking at UView controllers. Um, it's just something that that um, Apple tried to simplify to 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 a point in which people would quickly pick it up and and start developing iOS applications. But they sacrificed a little bit of the of the flexibility and customizability, uh, and and probably sometimes good architecture with with view controllers. So if I would wish for something is to kind of like for this for for Marsupin to to be some somewhere in in the middle between Cocoa development and iOS development. So to have powerful classes just like in Cocoa um, that are uh, somewhat simpler to use like in iOS, but also they would allow for for um, great customizations um, and this will allow rx swift to integrate very well with that um, so for right now for view controls or view controllers or table views uh, it's a little difficult for rx to to be everywhere there in full uh, and so if we had more points for customizations more points where we can plug in uh, connect and interact with with these apis that would be just fantastic so say somebody wants to get started with RX Swift. What steps should they be taking? That, well, obviously buying your book, but beyond that, what, what are the first steps that they should be taking in terms of adopting this technology? Well, I think it's um, important to, to start off with setting some expectations for what you want to accomplish. I mean, so RX Swift is not an all or nothing thing. You can certainly use it. You can introduce it into an existing code base. Um, or if you're starting a new project and you want to work with some, some aspects of it, you know, you can use RX Swift to both bind the data layer and the UI layer, um, and to use it for, you know, asynchronous API calls. There's a lot of different ways that you can use RX in RX Coco too. I'm, I'm kind of using that, that catchphrase again for all of these RX, uh, things, but, um, you know, it's, it's setting some expectations for yourself about what you want to accomplish as you're getting started with it, because if you try to go in there and say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and learn everything um, before I start using it, um, aside from reading a, a lengthy book and going through all the exercises and feeling like you've really come away with some knowledge and some confidence, you still have uh, a lot more to learn. It's, it's, a, there's a, it's a complex system and there's a lot of capabilities. And as someone said earlier, you know, you can, you can really shoot yourself in the foot with it if you're not sure what you're doing, you know, create a lot of reference cycles and and, and leak uh, all over the place as well. And, um, you know, it's just something that you have to make sure that you're familiar with what you're doing and why you're doing it. And that it's a tool that you're using to streamline the code that you write. It's not a replacement for understanding the underlying, um, you know, concepts and capabilities of developing an iOS, for example. One yeah. of the approaches I suggest uh, newcomers take is uh, start very small with small bits, like like Scott said. Um, say, for example, you, ha you are writing an application with which does networking, which mostly everyone does. Um, start by uh, moving the network code to uh, Rx. So you will see how it is, how easy it is to um, process the incoming data how easy it is to um, aggregate stuff that comes from multiple sources. And once you start grasping the concepts, you can uh, use them in other parts of your applications. But start small is probably the, the best advice for newcomers. I will actually do something else. Um, I'm a little bit out of, uh, out of the recommendation, if, if I can say it. I will recommend to somebody to start looking in future and promises before, because it's actually the path that I follow. Uh, I started with observable and subjects, and I found them quite confusing back in the days in C sharp. So I, I found uh, an interesting piece, an article in the network and in the web, which was talking about how uh, future and promises are actually the like parents. And, and the really relatives of observable and subjects. So I started looking on future and promises, which are 
really everywhere. You can search for JavaScript. You can search for uh, Java implementation. And it's going to take like half of, of your day to write them in Swift and, or a little bit more, maybe one day. And then you, are, you get really familiar on what is a consumer-producer kind of uh, relationship is. And when you start with that, you really understand uh, why you have one task producing a value and then a callback consuming that value. And then the next step is actually going to observe on subjects, which are pretty similar concepts, but in a more broad and more sophisticated ecosystem. So that's actually what's my experience. And I really recommend to, the, to everyone approaching Eric to try to do this before and then jumping into Eric's. As far as I heard, uh, I had really good feedbacks because people just start to look in a different way. Maybe they are not really familiar with Future and Promises. They heard about it. Uh, JavaScript is actually implementing in a standard. I don't know if this year or or yeah, last year it happened. It is going to be finally in in uh, in a JavaScript as uh, ECMAScript. It's uh, it's there since ages in Java. It's there since ages in Scala. A lot of these these programming languages are actually adopting future and promises. So it's I think it's a good device. I don't know what what the others are, are thinking about it. If they they agree with me, I agree with you, Virginia. Very good, very good advice. Yep, yep. I would also say you know this goes back to I mean I I struggled early uh, two thousand five timeframe trying to learn Ruby on Rails before I learned Ruby. But the lesson that I took away was I really should have learned the language pretty well first. And I, I carried that with me into, you know, iOS development with learning objectives, you know, C and Objective-C before I really started to tackle, you know, Cocoa Touch. And it's kind of the same thing here. I think as you're getting started, spend some time to learn Rx Swift, you know, the, the specifics uh, of, of those operators and, and what the observable is and those patterns before maybe you start jumping right away into using Rx Cocoa and all these different third-party libraries. Because it's those same concepts that are part of our Swift that you'll see implemented on top of Cocoa Touch API um, in in the RX Cocoa side of the house. So maybe start with RX Swift, really get familiar with how that works, and that's just playing around within a playground, something along those lines. And um, and then and then once you've gotten uh, a good feel for that, you'll start to look at things a little differently. And as you look at the RX Cocoa APIs, you'll see those patterns uh, are consistently being applied. And um, and it's exciting. It's it's a really fun uh, you know set of tools to to develop apps with. And and once you've got that foundation of understanding and experience under under your belt, then you can really go uh, to a lot of places with it. I think that's all uh, great advice. And I I don't know if the four of you know, but I I teach full time uh, teach iOS programming, and it's um, I can always see the difference in students who have really learned Swift and those who kind of come in thinking they're just going to learn iOS programming. They They'll figure the language out as they go along. Those who th- who know the language pretty well ahead of time always do better. Um, so I, I try to take that approach when I'm learning something new as well. Uh, we're about out of time. So is there anything else that we just have to get in before we finish up? You know, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention that Rx also has a great set of tools for, for testing. Um, it streamlines, you know, testing uh, Rx Swift code much in the same way that, you know, Rx Swift uh, streamlines writing Swift and and uh, you know Cocoa Touch API um, and and so you know RX has RX Test which uh, it has a test scheduler which allows you to have fine grained control over when events are being emitted which makes your test code be that much more succinct. It has things like RX blocking that helps you to you know test asynchronous sequences uh, by making them essentially synchronous so that you can test them in line linearly. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, these tools that are in the, in the test side of the house just are, are there to streamline the way you write your tests against your code. And it makes the testing actually a lot more fun than you might find when you're dealing with, uh, you know, tests using traditional expectations and, and such, uh, API for that. Um, a real quick note as well. There's a, a very active Rx Swift Slack channel with over 4,200 members. Um, and a lot of people are just joining in and, and getting knowledge from, from people who are more experienced. Um, some of us are regularly there day-to-day basis um, trying to help. Uh, of course, uh, not all questions get answered, but uh, a lot of people are learning um, you know, by chatting with, with the community. So uh, if anyone's interested, 
uh, after checking the repo or maybe our book, then just join the Slack channel and, and you know, just um, monitor the, the chatter in there. Uh, you're going to learn a lot of just the code that um, people are sharing. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right. Well, thanks to all of you for coming on. I think we're going to get to picks. Uh, Guy, do you have a pick for us? For you, the listeners of the iFreak show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. I have an awesome pick today. Um, it's something called external build systems on Xcode. And there's this amazing article by a person, I don't know if, if you know this person, uh, some Erica person wrote an article about running Python in Xcode. And it's a really cool article to learn about external build systems. And sometimes you need to write in a, a different language than the standard Swift or Object-C or C. And I used Erica's article to get started and it's really cool. Uh, as much as we love to hate Xcode, uh, we're fine with it. We're comfortable. We know the shortcuts. So it's good to to be able to use other languages in it. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize Xcode can do. It's actually pretty powerful. And th those features have been there for a long time. All right, Erica, do you have any picks for us? I actually have two picks. And my first pick today is a wonderful book. It's called Rx Swift, Reactive Programming with Swift. And it just happens to be written by all of our guests today. <laughs> and um, as it says, it's one of the hottest topics in mobile app development. So if you want to get started, it's a good book to get started with. And my other pick is um, the Vector Podcast, and it's specifically Vector Podcast number 56. And it happens to guest star Guy. And it's all about Marzipan, which is the rumored upcoming integration for a single API for developing apps for both Mac platforms and mobile. Yeah, I, I need to listen to that. Guy, uh, Guy was on Renee Ritchie's Vector podcast, which is pretty cool. Um, I've got two picks today. My first pick is also a podcast, uh, just kind of following the theme that I've gone with a lot lately of uh, sort of retro computing stuff. Um, it's, it's called the Classic Computing Podcast. It seems to be very, uh, what's the right word? Uh, I can't think of the right word, but he only records an episode very infrequently, but he's just recently done two episodes Um about the Lisa, actually, with people who are active in the Lisa community. Believe it or not, there is still a Lisa community, um, including guys that are working on brand new replacement hardware for Lisas, which I think is pretty cool. So that's the classic computing podcast. Uh, my second pick is actually a book uh, by Paul Hudson, who does the Hacking Swift or Hacking with Swift stuff. Um, but it's just a book full of coding challenges in Swift. And uh, I, after doing the advent of code, uh, and having a lot of fun with that, um, found this book and it's got a bunch of code challenges that range from pretty easy stuff for beginners up to stuff that, um, you know, is, is for more advanced people. None of it is like crazy, you know, it was going to take you three hours sort of thing. It's, it's like minutes if you're, if you're, um, an expert and maybe half an hour for the long ones, if you're a beginner, but good way to stay sharp. And I find these kinds of puzzles, uh, fun sometimes. So those are my picks. Let's see. I don't know what order to go in for the rest of you. Um, I'm just going to go in the order that you appear in the, in the Skype chat on my screen. So we'll start with Junior. Do you have any picks for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm actually organizing a conference. It's the third edition this year. It's called Ad Builders. Uh, it's based in Switzerland, in the south part of Switzerland, next to Italy. It's 
going to be a little bit difficult for American and people outside Europe to reach, but it's definitely a really cool place. And we have a lot of good iOS people. We managed to have Dave DeLong. We have Christoph Zablocki. We're going to have uh, Philip Schumacher, which was the former senior director of the App Store. We have Carolina Nitz, which uh, is extremely active in, uh, in the iOS community and was part of uh, the Pidelan um, team. And it's actually double track, so we're going to have Android as well. So if you're really interested in learning more Alex Swift, and it's going to be, of course, uh, talk about Alex Java on Android. So there's going to be a lot of things in, in the conference. It's taking place in April 16, 17 this year in, here in Switzerland in Lugano next to Milan. So if you want to join, please visit uh, www.appbuilders.ch. That sounds like a lot of fun. I hope so. Uh, Marin, I think you said you have a pick. Yeah, actually, uh, I do have uh, two quick picks. And first is something that I'm working on and I'm about later this month. Actually, I, I've, I've given a lot of live coding demos in the last I don't know, two, three years and conferences at Realm World Tour and in and, and, and many locations. And uh, I've built this little tool, assistant tool, um, that helps me with the code snippets during the presentation, and 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 oftentimes people will come after the show, and instead of instead of asking irrelevant questions about the topic, they will ask me what tool I'm using and where they can get it. So uh, um, I finally decided to like pack it and polish it a bit, and I'll put a bow on it and uh, and release it um, for other fellows presenters um, to use uh, later this month. It's called Snippety. It's a double T double T snippety.com. Uh, we'll put a link to it. Um, and my second pick is the Sorcery Framework by Krzysztof Jablowski uh, from, from um, Poland. It's an amazing tool. Um, maybe it has been mentioned before, maybe not, uh, but uh, it allows you to... I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's, he calls it a meta-programming for Swift, but what it allows you to do is just amazing. Uh, and what really made me click uh, with that is sorcery you can you can do anything with but just a quick quick example is that you can automatically generate um, your realm classes to export um, plain old structures uh, and do all kind of integrations and so forth so you can you can generate all this automated stuff for your classes that you would otherwise need to write by hand and you can automate this. Uh, to happen automatically. It's amazing. It's amazing. So everyone has to go there and, and check it out. <laughs> okay, that's it for me. Sorry for the ramble. Oh, that's great. Uh, Sorcery is really cool. Um, and I don't. I wish I knew how to say his name, but he uh, he's done some other really cool stuff too, like Playgrounds for Objective-C, which was a fun project. Uh, let's see. Florent, do you have any picks for us? Uh, yes, I have a couple of ones, actually. Um, uh, I I like to work on diverse projects and I like to work on other languages. So uh, right now I'm working on stuff with Kotlin, which happens to be a language which is very close to Swift and very familiar to Swift programmers. And I even use Eric's Java and Eric's Kotlin on it, uh, which are incredibly similar to Eric Swift. Uh, so much so that I have some code which is quite the same on both platforms. So... Um, my my pick on this is uh, the Vertex uh, server framework. It's something that's close to Vapor, Vapor on Swift. Uh, Vertex is uh, running on Java, on JVM, and you can use it with any JVM language. And it's a reactive server framework to write microservices. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's really well thought out, and, and it's a lot of fun to work with. So that's my pick, Vertex.io. Great, Scott. Last but not least, do you have any picks for us? I, I have two, maybe three. But uh, the first one is is Paint Code, and you know, just even with the capabilities that have been enhanced in iOS with iOS 11 for scalable vector images and these types of things, Paint Code has uh, continued to be an indisp indispensable tool for me. Um, you know, for creating resolution independent graphics, for creating interactive controls, for doing all kinds of things that save you having to actually uh, bring hard assets into your projects. I always say, you know, it takes the, uh, the pain out of the XC assets. 
Um, I, I love Paint Code. I've been using it for years and have continued to develop it and improve it. And it's, it's, it's one of my favorite tools. Um, and then I guess actually I'll go straight to the second one, which is just a new library that I saw the other day that I, I got really excited about. It's, it's called RX Flow. And um, it's essentially uh, taking a reactive flow coordinator pattern um, and, and building an entire navigational structure for iOS out of that. Um, so I've only played around with it a little bit, but I, the, uh, the author has, uh, I, what, is, what is his name? I have to look. Let's see. Uh, Thibaut Wittenberg is uh, doing an exceptional job with it, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and then my third is Realm. Um, Marin is really involved with Realm. And, uh, and I have been uh, so in love with Realm since the first time I encountered it, and there just continues to be more uh, advances. And it's a very reactive-based approach to working with data interoperability and persistence and sync. And uh, there's new announcements all the time. Uh, they just announced the new Realm Cloud platform. So great company, a great choice for working with data across multiple devices in a very, you know, uh, in, in a sync way and having that. Uh, complication be abstracted away from you as the developer so you can focus on your business logic. So those are my picks. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming on. It was great to talk to all of you and learn a bit, little bit more about RX Swift. Um, I appreciate the time you've spent with us. Thanks, everyone. All right. Yeah, thank you. All right. That's it for this week. Ed. We'll see you all next thank week. You. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.